Welcome to the Center for Investment Excellence, a production of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. The Center for Investment Excellence is an audio podcast that provides educational insights across asset classes and investment themes. Today's episode is on the first quarter earnings season and has been recorded for institutional and professional investors. I'm David Lebowitz, global market strategist and host of the Center for Investment Excellence. This past week, we kicked off the first quarter earnings season. You know, earnings seasons come four times a year, and they always tell us a lot about what's going on in corporate America, and they give good insight as to the health of large multinational corporations. But what's particularly interesting about this current earnings season is that it really gives us the first good look at the impact of the spread of COVID-19, not only on the day-to-day activities that these businesses engage in, but furthermore, how it could potentially be impacting the health of some of these corporations during the months to come. You know, the stock market has clearly been a bit uncomfortable with the outlook for corporate profits here over the past couple of weeks, given the levels of volatility we saw in March. Essentially, investors were just trying to figure out what the rapid spread of COVID-19 was going to mean for both the economy and corporate earnings. In terms of what we know so far, you know, the banks have reported. We've seen a lot of them holding back capital to address any problematic loans that they may have on their books down the road. But in terms of what managements are saying, we haven't really heard a lot of changes to guidance. We haven't really heard a whole lot of commentary. And I think that that's frankly because there's no good playbook for thinking about the current environment. I mean, when recessions are caused, by financial imbalances or a policy error at the Federal Reserve, we kind of have a framework for thinking about what the recovery might look like. When an economy is put on hold because of the global spread of a virus, you know, we don't really have a good framework for thinking about that. And to an extent, I think both managements and investors at this juncture are flying a little bit blind. You know, when we think back to what contractions in corporate profits have looked like historically, and we do think that corporate profits are going to contract here for 2020 as a whole, data from Robert Schiller shows that on average, corporate profits declined by about 30% during an economic recession. After-tax adjusted corporate profits, as reported by the BEA, tend to contract closer to 20%. Clearly, these contractions are far greater than what we see in GDP, and that just highlights kind of the cyclicality of corporate profits relative to the broad economy. And as we think about the contraction that we're going to experience here over the remainder of the year, you know, we think it's going to be somewhere to the tune of around 20%. Now, one of the things that's giving us a little bit of pause is when we look at consensus estimates for earnings growth this year, consensus thinks that earnings are only going to contract by about 10%. And so clearly there is some catching up to do when it comes to the analyst community. We have gotten, again, as I mentioned, a glimpse at kind of the beginning of this earnings season, kicking off with the banks here. Building loan loss provisions has been a key theme across all of the announcements so far. Another thing, though, that's coming through is that capital market activity has actually been better than expected, which is a little bit surprising given all of the volatility that we saw into the end of the quarter. That said, while banks have suspended buyback programs, you know, their dividends look relatively safe. And when we think about the outlook for banks here, you know, we do not believe that they are facing the same risks as they were back in the run-up and the wake of the global financial crisis. Thinking about some other sectors, when we think about the consumer sectors, namely consumer discretionary and consumer staples, we think that consumer discretionary will be hit harder than consumer staples, but the impact is not going to be uniform across the board. 
Within consumer discretionary, obviously things like autos, hotels, restaurants, leisure, traditional retailers, those should all see a negative impact from social distancing, whereas things like internet retailers and other industries that are more oriented towards consumption at home should actually see some sort of benefit. On the other hand, consumer staples, there seem to be a number of offsetting forces at work. Not unlike some of these consumer discretionary companies, you know, supply chains have been affected as economies have been shut down to try to slow the spread of this virus. But at the same time, demand for things like household products has been nothing short of robust. And so while both of these sectors look set to see earnings decline from a year prior, the decline in consumer staples earnings will likely be far more contained. Thinking about some sectors that actually might see positive earnings growth as they report their first quarter numbers, communication services and technology actually look like they fared okay. Again, significant difference at the industry level. When you look within communication services, those companies that are most levered to the digital economy, so think interactive media and services, certain types of entertainment companies, you know, these all look set to post solid results. Whereas on the other hand, the businesses that rely on a more diversified product mix, so think about a media company that perhaps also runs a theme park, they look like they came under some pressure. On the technology front, again, supply chain issues were front and center in what we've seen and heard from managements thus far. But as an increasing number of people are forced to work from home, you know, things like software companies have actually seen a bit of a tailwind for their revenue and earnings here over the past couple of weeks. Finally, I just want to touch on what's going on in the energy, real estate, industrial, and material sectors. All of these look set to really bear the brunt of the drawdown in earnings that's resulting as a result of the spread in COVID-19. Energy in particular looks set to struggle during the coming months. Not only is the price of oil down about 16% from a year prior, it currently sits at a level where most producers are going to struggle to turn a profit. So you take this dynamic and combine it with softer demand and the aggressive use of leverage in recent years. And it does look like from an asset performance standpoint, the energy market is going to be under substantial pressure for the foreseeable future. So the earnings outlook here, clearly not great, but I think that there's a devil in the details. And when we think about the different types of businesses out there and how they're going to respond to the economy being shut down over the next few months, I think that there's a big difference between the capital light, more service oriented businesses and the more capital intensive manufacturing oriented businesses. If you're a capital light service business, your people are probably continuing to work, albeit from home. You're probably seeing a reduced pace of sales, but you're not seeing sales go off a cliff the way that some of these other industries are. And so you can keep your business running in a way that a company which requires its workers to be physically present is going to be unable to do here over the next few months. And so fundamentally, what we're dealing with here in the economy is a cash flow issue. Right. Consumers aren't getting their income. Businesses aren't generating as much revenue. What we need to figure out how to do is bridge the gap between where we are today and the economy coming back online, hopefully at some point later this year. And those companies that can maintain some semblance of productivity and can also more easily cut costs, whether that be reducing headcount or reducing hours worked, they should arguably be in a better position to resume operating at a normal pace when the economy does come back online. So we think that there are a lot of nuances to this. And as I mentioned earlier, we don't have a good playbook for thinking about this current pullback in the economy. That means that increasingly investment decisions are going to have to be made in real time. So what does this mean for portfolios? At the end of the day, we continue to advocate for a focus on quality with a dash of cyclicality. 
To us, this means embracing sectors like healthcare, technology, consumer staples, sectors with solid profit margins and low levels of leverage, and taking advantage of underweights in the more highly levered sectors like energy and REITs to maintain benchmark exposure to things like financials. Again, focusing on a combination of quality and cyclicality. And by not running to one side of the boat or the other, this should allow portfolios to weather the storm in the short to medium term, while simultaneously maintaining enough cyclicality to participate when markets do rally. Thank you for joining us today on J.P. Morgan Center for Investment Excellence. CFA Institute members are encouraged to self-document their continuing professional development activities in their online CE tracker. If you found our insights useful, you can find more episodes wherever you listen to podcasts and on our website. Recorded on April 16th, 2020. For institutional wholesale professional clients and qualified investors only, not for retail use or distribution, not for retail distribution. This communication has been prepared exclusively for institutional wholesale professional clients and qualified investors only, as defined by local laws and regulations. The views contained herein are not to be taken as advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any investment in any jurisdiction, nor is it a commitment from J.P. Morgan Asset Management or any of its subsidiaries to participate in any of the transactions mentioned herein. Any forecasts, figures, opinions or investment techniques and strategies set out are for information purposes only, based on certain assumptions and current market conditions and are subject to change without prior notice. All information presented herein is considered to be accurate at the time of production. This material does not contain sufficient information to support an investment decision and it should not be relied upon by you in evaluating the merits of investing in any securities or products. In addition, users should make an independent assessment of the legal, regulatory, tax, credit and accounting implications and determine, together with their own professional advisors, if any investment mentioned herein is believed to be suitable to their personal goals. Investors should ensure that they obtain all available relevant information before making any investment. It should be noted that investment involves risks. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate in accordance with market conditions and taxation agreements and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Both past performance and yields are not reliable indicators of current and future results. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the brand for the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase and Company and its affiliates worldwide. To the extent permitted by applicable law, we may record telephone calls and monitor electronic communications to comply with our legal and regulatory obligations and internal policies. Personal data will be collected, stored and processed by J.P. Morgan Asset Management in accordance with our privacy policies at https colon slash slash am dot jpmorgan.com slash global slash privacy. This communication is issued by the following entities in the United States by J.P. Morgan Investment Management Inc. or J.P. Morgan Alternative Asset Management Inc., both regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in Latin America for intended recipients use only by local J.P. Morgan entities, as the case may be, in Canada for institutional clients use only by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Canada Inc which is a registered portfolio manager and exempt market dealer in all Canadian provinces and territories except the Yukon and is also registered as an investment fund manager in British Columbia, Ontario, Quebec and Newfoundland and Labrador, in the United Kingdom, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management, UK, Limited, which is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, in other European jurisdictions, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Europe S. A. Grave RL, in Asia-Pacific, APAC by the following issuing entities and in the respective jurisdictions in which they are primarily regulated. 
JP Morgan Asset Management, Asia Pacific, Limited, or JP Morgan Funds, Asia, Limited, or JP Morgan Asset Management Real Assets, Asia, Limited, each of which is regulated by the Securities and Futures Commission of Hong Kong, JP Morgan Asset Management, Singapore, Limited, Company, Reg. Number 197,601,586K, which this advertisement or publication has not been reviewed by the Monetary Authority of Singapore, JP Morgan Asset Management, Taiwan, Limited, JP Morgan Asset Management, Japan, Limited, which is a member of the Investment Trusts Association, Japan, the Japan Investment Advisors Association, Type 2 Financial Instruments Firms Association and the Japan Securities Dealers Association and is regulated by the Financial Services Agency. Registration Number Kanto Local Finance Bureau, Financial Instruments Firm, Number 330, in Australia, to wholesale clients only as defined in Section 761A and 761G of the Corporations Act 2001, Commonwealth by JP Morgan Asset Management, Australia, Limited, ABN 55143832080, AFSL 376919, Copyright 2020 JP Morgan Chase and Company All Rights Reserved.